Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to a minisode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Ben Stokes does for this country's interesting cricket. Have I got that right, Joe? Uh, yes, at spot on. I'm Seb Patrick, and joining me to bridge the gap between our Spider-Man Far From Home and we can reveal for the first time The Matrix episodes are... Joe Cunningham? <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to do that in a less like surprised way? No. <laughs> okay. And James Hunt, uh, before we go any further, I did not sign up to be on a podcast with jocks. What the fuck is this? <laughs> is that a sport joke? What the hell is cricket? Uh, it does for the interest of cricket in this country for everybody except for James, perhaps that should have said. Uh, yes, this is unusual because I'm hosting, which happens very occasionally, but it usually happens when Joe isn't here. Yeah, I think uh, that, it's not the first time I've ever had to say my name. I, I think this is the thing. This is the first time you've ever been introduced, and that's why you didn't know when to say it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, we didn't discuss it beforehand. Um, I am hosting this episode uh, for two reasons. Uh, first of which is that um, I'm the one who's bothered to gather the news this week because Joe was busy watching a cricket match and secondly uh, I had it stipulated in my contract that I would be allowed to host the episode uh, or I would walk after last week's Far From Home fiasco <laughs> I still don't know how much of that made the edit but I can <laughs> I can I can guarantee listeners that probably not all of it because otherwise it would have been fully unlistenable <laughs> the bit where I nearly walked off didn't make the edit but the bit where I thought about nearly walking off did make the edit <laughs> Um, and actually, I, I, I wanted to just briefly get in, actually, uh, at the outset of this episode, the first thing to look at is a little bit of fallout from that Far From Home episode, because uh, it has, perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, given the nature of, of the conversation in it, uh, I think it's been one of our most talked about episodes on, on Twitter. We don't always get a lot of direct responses to the episodes and to the content of the episodes themselves, um, so it was quite nice to actually get some replies to this one. Um, yeah, I was so highly... having more fights in the future, is what we're saying. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Basically, it shows us what direction we have to go in. It's the first um, time we've disagreed about Spider-Man because normally we're on the same page mm, about Spider-Man. Even yeah, even obviously, I think we 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 we've previously agreed on what we hate, which is the Garfield films, and we did Spider-Man <laughs> three, which doesn't have a great reputation, and we were all like, actually, we quite like this to differing degrees. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. If I'd um, remembered no, the if I'd remembered the title "A Tale of Two Kitties" more quickly, there would have been a really good joke. <laughs> Yeah, I saw where you, I saw where you were, I heard you laugh and I saw where you were going <laughs> with that one. Yeah, that laugh was just for me. 
but yeah, so there were there were a couple of things that I think worth addressing. Uh, firstly, I apologise for anyone who, uh, as long-time listener Graham Kibble-White did, uh, went out and bought Trouble on the basis of my mentioning it. Uh, no, we, we, put, we, we put it out there. there. It was extremely bad. In no I mean, we didn't terms. recommend it, but just by making people aware of its existence, I think people have, might have thought it was a so bad it's good, and 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 it isn't. <laughs> uh, James has had to retract a bit of mockery of the film because we're informed by Alex Jameson that the Queen's Guard do actually carry machine guns because they're not um, decorative guards; they are actual functional guards, so they do have machine guns. But I think we need to double down that the moment that they end up in the vault is still ridiculous. Yes. Even fine, but let's let, let, let's not actually discuss the film anymore because I, I can't take it. Um, and then finally, so something that is even for for all the people who disagreed with with Joe and and to a lesser extent James. Um, <laughs> Don't lump me in with that psycho. I, I remember that Mysterio argument well, James. James, you didn't like the illusion scene, so like oh, right, we're not doing someone, it. we're not doing this. we're not doing this. Out, it's in the contract. Someone pointed out. <laughs> Why didn't his spider sense come into play in that sequence? It's a fair because, point. No, because his spider sense was knackered. There's a whole plot point in the film. Let's not even. Let's not here's, even. Here's, also, here's a question I'd like to ask about that scene because I think hang we on, do need we're, to. We're getting we into spoilers slightly... here. Let's not. Let's not be. Let's ah, not no, spoiler far from home on a minisode. But I just here's a, here's a question I want to ask about that scene. What does it tell us about Spider Man that we don't already know? It's not even. It's not even in his head. It's a projection of what Mysterio thinks in his head. Just for the benefit of it's, listeners, this uh, will be edited out of the episode. It's fundamentally <laughs> not interesting. Anyway, um, I did just want to. I was actually no. Do you know what? I'm not going to read out the bit that's positive about you now, Joe, because you just decided <laughs> to have this argument again. What I was going to say was, irrespective of your views on the film, and, and actually, I've, I have been interested that there have been people saying that they agree with you guys, and there have been people saying that you guys are mad. Um, but Jason Smedley pointed out something that we had all completely missed, probably because it had been so long ago since we last did a Minnesota, but it was actually in our most recent Minnesota, which yeah. was episode 94.5, uh, the one where the cover art is actually Mysterio. And if you listen 21 and a half minutes into that episode, um, Joe, as an offhanded joke, yeah. manages to uh, predict the post, not the mid-credits, but the post-credits reveal of the film. So... Well done, Joe, I guess, a bit. Well, let's uh, to, to, to dig into that, because A, I, I had forgotten I'd said it. So, I mean, spoilers for Spider-Man Far From Home, listeners. Yeah, because, stop listening if you somehow yeah. haven't seen it yet. So I, uh, James, James posits the question, what if that's actually, what if that's not actually Nick Fury? What? Which you all forgot that that, because James particularly forgot that that had been a conversation. When I brought that up and you went, did anyone think it wasn't Nick Fury yeah. when I was talking about the trailer? <laughs> yeah, so we really have completely forgotten about that line of conversation. <laughs> so, like, so, like, full credit for for that to begin with, because I mean, it it wouldn't have occurred to me it wasn't Nick Fury. Uh, but I then suggested, oh, what if it's Talos? Which I think was a callback to like a gag on previous episodes where I'd been probably from the Captain Marvel episode where I'd been like. Well, Skrulls could be anyone now, and has Ben Mendelsohn been hanging out on Earth? And, you know, it's Marvel. You kind of feel like Skrulls, now that you've introduced them, they're going to pop back up. Uh, but, yeah, it was a joke that I couldn't, uh, I'd forgotten I'd even made. Um, but it was a, a nice nice one to look back on, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Not the first time. I think I think we, we I mean, obviously, <laughs> we, obviously we, score ca- now? we called, well, we called the end scene from... Uh, Avengers Endgame a year out, so I mean, what yeah, we get, what are we going to predict next? <laughs> what what should we pick? What should we predict on it for a future comic book movie? James Gunn makes a cameo in Guardians Three. 
<laughs> yeah, that feels like a safe bet. Yes, so I think probably for the sake of all of our sanities, we maybe need to move away from far from home for a bit now. Uh, but we're not going to move completely away from recent MCU stuff because I did just want to, uh, in case we don't get um, the chance again uh, on, a, on a newsy episode, uh, just to give a little, because there has been a little update today after another weekend on the Endgame box office because that re-release is still out there. Uh, it made another $2.8 this weekend just gone. Uh, so it's hit $2.78 billion. Dollars, uh, but Avatar's record is two point seven eight eight billion. So Endgame is seven point one six million behind at the time of recording this. So unless they get another few strong weekends out of the re-release, I don't think it's happening. Yeah, no, uh, and, and d- d- well, honestly, it probably d- it doesn't matter, does it? I mean, the worldwide box office so far this year has five movies in the top five from Disney. So. I'm not going to feel too bad. Oh no, they're not concerned yeah. at all. But. I'm not going to feel too bad about like willing them on to break that record. That they can probably make. They can, you know. I think Avatar has already like had a couple of like bonus releases here and there, and probably get another one when the sequels come out. And I'm sure the next time there's an Avengers movie, you can re-release Endgame and bump that box office up a little bit. Uh, I, I think it's just partly. I think. I, I, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all what wins, really. But it's just that if you take the two Camerons out of the equation, then the the all time box office record would have been broken repeatedly over the last ten years. And I think it's quite a fun thing to see happen. It's it is quite fun to see a, a landmark broken and a, and a record broken. Uh, but because you've got Avatar there and you've got Titanic, which only Endgame has got above, um, so things like Force Awakens and Infinity War and Jurassic World and Avengers and Furious 7 in 8th place, um, <laughs> although that's below Avengers, so that wouldn't have broken it. But you know, the, these are films that would have successively topped each other and you would have had this fun thing of the record constantly changing hands. And I think Endgame, to me, feels like maybe... It's probably not the last ever opportunity, and it has only been 10 years, but we have had 10 years with Avatar at the top, and with Endgame not managing it, what do you see topping it? Um, the thing is, so, like you know, these these are unadjusted totals, right? Yes, yeah. true. I mean, yeah, if you, if, if you adjust, it is always going to be gone with the wind, yeah. and it will never not be gone with yeah. the wind. Which so... <laughs> so, yeah, it doesn't really matter. But then, I... And I don't know how much gone with the wind has made from, you know, home entertainment sales, because, you know, that, that wasn't a thing when Gone with the Wind <laughs> yeah. came out, and it is for every movie that's released these days. I mean, like, ultimately, all of these stats are PR. Yeah. yeah when, when it comes to these big kind of numbers, they are tools for the PR department. Um... But I will say, I mean, Seb, I know you wanted to move away from Spider-Man Far From Home, but Spider-Man Far From Home is about to hit $850 million at the worldwide box office, which obviously isn't Avengers endgame numbers, but puts it within $50 million worldwide of Spider-Man 3, which previous to this was the mm. highest grossing Spider-Man movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Amazing Spider-Man 2 made 709 worldwide. Homecoming made 880. Far From Home's already at 850. It's going to, you know, it's it's going to cross 900. It's going to get close to a billion worldwide. I think if there was any doubts that Sony about whether Sony should stick with Marvel long term, those doubts are gone mm-hmm. now because yeah. at, at this stage in the MCU and I and I remember people being a little bit disappointed in the Homecoming box office that it wasn't leaps and bounds ahead of the amazing spider-man total and certainly not i think in in fact i think it it 
grossed less than the first Amazing Spider-Man movie did in the US. Um, or, may, or maybe right around that same figure. But Far From Home is, you know, is is continuing to do really well. And I think, you know, this is, whether thoughts about the movie aside, this is the Spider-Man franchise now and don't expect it to change and become something different in the next few years. I think Sony is still far better sticking with Marvel than they are trying to pivot back to like make Tom Holland hang out with Venom and <laughs> Morbius and Craig the Hunter. <laughs> um, I did just want to, just before we move on from, I'm, I'm sorry if, for people who do find box office chat tedious, but just as a little capstone on what I wanted to present as a counterpoint to the end game discussion, uh, because it cropped up again in, in news reports this weekend, The because Dark Phoenix is still in cinemas. Uh, it's only now in 200 cinemas in the US, but it is in it is in, still in cinemas in the US. Who would like, if you haven't already seen it, to take a guess at the worldwide box office total for Dark Phoenix? Um, we'll play higher or lower. 400. Lower, yeah. Uh, Ouch. Well, what I, I'm trying to remember when we when we when we talked about it the first time, I'm sure it looked like it didn't it open to like 35 something like that. So I I don't know, maybe like 180. Higher. Oh. 250. There, two two four nine. Right. <laughs> so wow. <laughs> yeah, def def nil for that franchise. If it, I, ne- if it I, I, I nearly opened dead. that by saying, "Hey, remember Dark Phoenix?" And in a couple of years, nobody will remember Dark Phoenix. No, I, I mean, I, I always kind of bristle a little bit about, oh, this movie left no cultural imprint because that, you know, that's the Avatar argument, right? And I think for mm. a lot of people it did and, you know, you don't become a big, huge movie without leaving a cultural imprint. But, I mean, when you deliver a movie that feels indistinguishable from a franchise uh, that is aiming to be a capper on it, where I don't, I don't think, it, I, I, you know, it's going to be, it's you're going to look back in years' time and go, what was the stuff that happened in Dark Phoenix? Because I think most of those things happened in a different movie. <laughs> I mean, the 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 hand waving in that movie is put to shame by Stranger Things, which is saying something. <laughs> <sighs> don't watch Stranger Things, but it may come up in conversation a little bit later in this episode. Oh, foreshadowing. Um, actually, let's. I mean, uh, what I did want to do. I mean, there's there's not been a huge amount of news for us to catch up on because we did cover a lot on that um, Guardians of the Galaxy episode. And I think the biggest uh, actual announcements of things that are actual rather than speculation and rumours are in TV. Hello, uh, this is an insert uh, just to let you know that yes, we are aware that since we recorded this minisode, um, the story has come out that Taika Waititi is doing Thor 4. Uh, it broke literally just as I'm editing this episode and got to this point in the episode. So uh, don't worry, yes, we'll cover that and discuss it uh, on our next episode, most probably. Um, but that's why we're here talking about not having much movie news when you guys listening as you are now know that there is a reasonably big piece of movie news to talk about. Uh, okay, back to the episode where we're going to go and talk about uh, a particular topic for absolutely ages. Um, so we're going to start with TV, or I should say streaming. Um, and what this does do is it gives us an opportunity to spend absolutely ages talking about the biggest bit of news from the last couple of weeks, which is that we are, I think, closer than we've ever been to getting an adaptation of The Sandman. I mean, it would uh, take because... a lot for it to fall apart at this point. I think I think the fact that it has been officially announced by Netflix um, that they have ordered and and by DC 
that they have ordered a TV series based on uh, The Sandman, the comic book series uh, from 1980, I want to say 9 or is it 8, uh, till 1996, that basically... Um, is one of the main reasons why DC Vertigo exists. It's one of the main <laughs> reasons why Neil Gaiman has the career. Well, yes, existed. The Neil Gaiman has the career that he does. Uh, written by Neil Gaiman, drawn by a massive wide range of, of brilliant artists. Uh, it is one of the best and most important comics of all time. The th- you know, the thing it's- about Sandman that I think people often miss is that Sandman is basically the reason... If you go out and buy comics in trade collections, it's probably because yeah. of Sandman. Or possibly, I guess, Watchmen, but... Uh, Watchmen was just the one book, right? Sandman yeah, was... True. Yeah, true. Sandman long, invented the Let's Have Ten Volumes. They, yeah, because when they first collected it... We'll, we'll get into the series in a minute, but <laughs> just on that point. Yeah, when they first collected it, because it was so popular, they realised that they had to do a trade, but they didn't really know how to do it. So what they did was they collected the second story arc... Uh, but with the, the 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 death issue, which we'll, we'll we'll talk about that a bit more and explain that if you don't know it uh, at the start of it, and they just called the book the Sandman. They didn't title it after. They didn't give it a volume number. They didn't title it after the story arc. It was the Doll's House arc, but it was just called the Sandman. I've I've got a copy of that first edition of it, and it's so weird alongside all of the others because all of the others were <laughs> oh okay, we are actually doing a, a numbered run of the series. Um, but yeah, just just on the show, um, just to to get the details out of the way. It is uh, being executive produced by Alan Heinberg alongside Neil Gaiman and David S. Goyer, but fortunately it looks like Goyer's not writing on it. He has written previous drafts, I think, or worked on previous versions. I feel like Goyer's been attached to it for so long, that's kind of a, you know... We've got yeah, contracts you're ne- in yeah, place, but you're, you're not actually doing this one. You're, you're John Peters on Batman Begins yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Um, but Alan Heinberg being on is interesting. Um, I do just want to quote my favourite bit of the, the write-up of this on, on CBR, uh, website formerly known as Comic Book Resources, which says, Netflix has also revealed that 10 episodes of The Sandman have been ordered, plus an additional episode. <laughs> Right, so or in 11 words, episodes 11 episodes have been ordered <laughs> oh and actually this does say that the first episode's co-written by Gaiman, Heinberg and Goya which is a shame uh, Neil Gaiman uh, on Twitter uh, about 10 days or so ago um, mentioned uh, got into big conversations with people about it and talked about lots of little bits of not not really detail uh, he did say the first season's 11 episodes or, or 10 plus 1 um, uh, they're going to do preludes and nocturnes and a little bit more um, so preludes and nocturnes being the first story arc and the thing with Sandman was when Gaiman originally wrote it obviously he didn't know it was going to go on to be a 75 issue long running successful series and he wrote the first arc in such a way that if it had to wrap up um, it wouldn't wrap up the whole big plot that he was setting up but it would have worked as a self-contained story in its own right so it does make sense to do that as a season in its own right i think my only reservation with that would be it's not the best of the story arcs and you kind of want to get some of your better material in and i, I suspect yeah. they will pull forward i think some material i think we will be meeting on. death a lot earlier than the very end yes. guys can i can i strip this back to yes uh our our kind of original reason for this podcast which is <laughs> i knew you were gonna yeah, do this <laughs> yeah which is so like f- for me i mean we've talked about sandman on the podcast before right we talked about it yeah. when joseph gordon levitt was fronting a film adaptation i believe uh, he, which... he was actually gonna play the corinthian 
Yes, yeah. So like that, and that was the last time it felt semi-serious, and that collapsed. But I know it's kind of it's similar to Watchmen, right? That it is considered one of like the comic book urtexts that like it has been, whilst being in some corners considered unadaptable, has been kicked around Hollywood for years and years and years. We're mm. finally, and, and I'll be honest, it reminds me a little bit, especially with uh, with Goya's name in the arena, it reminds me a little bit of the Dark Tower as well, that you've got this kind of gargantuan piece of work that Hollywood is keep mm. keeping trying to make happen. So I guess my, my question for you is, if you had to elevate a pitch me on why Sandman is great and why Hollywood wants to make it happen, like, not, not because of its influence on comics, but like, what is the thing about Sandman that you could sell me on a, in this case, I guess, TV adaptation of it? Uh, I think there are. I think there are two things I'd say about it. Which is one is its its thematic nature, which is that it is a story about stories. Like that is the most fundamental thing about Sandman, and almost everything in it is it is about stories yeah, and legend the power and, of, and everything else specifically about, like yeah. the power of stories and their influence yeah. on people and the world and like every everything people think like if you want if you want an answer to that question it's that it's essentially an entire industry patting itself on the back and going like well this is what we're all doing right this is why we're here yeah um and aside from like that kind of thematic side i think uh, the the storytelling possibilities are huge because the thing about Sandman is it does have a narrative that runs through it, but it takes a very meandering route to get to it. And often that that central narrative and Neil Gaiman once uh, dis- described that central narrative in a single sentence, which I was having a conversation with somebody else about this recently, and it was pointed out that this is kind of a bit spoilery for the comic, but it is also for a 30-year-old comic. So the the one-line summary that Neil Gaiman gave of Sandman is, the Lord of Dreams learns that one must either change or die and makes his decision. And and that's kind of really the, you know, the, the thread of the series is this character who is the the personification of the concept of dreams, which I appreciate even just throwing that simple description at, at you if you don't know the series is a difficult thing to get on with. But it's about characters who are the personifications of all of these kind of abstract concepts. Um, and he is a character who is adamant that he doesn't change and then he gradually learns about the fact that he is changing and that that that's central plot line is is the plot line of the series but actually it creates such a big world and it is a world that basically takes in all aspects of fiction and culture that you can imagine it's a it's bit just, League of extraordinary gentleman but less yeah. sort of specific <laughs> It's such a broad canvas. It's sort of, you know, it, it, it is a universe where every single... It's a little bit American godsy in that every single bit of mythology is true. So the Norse gods are true yeah. and the Old Testament god is true. And that's, that's I don't you, you probably know this, Joe, but this is where Lucifer, as in Lucifer the TV show, yeah. comes from. He is a character from Sandman originally. Although I don't think we're going to get Tom Ellis's version in this show. <laughs> and again, um, again so, I think there are parallels with the Dark Tower, which kind of... I mean, like, and the Dark Tower does that with kind of, like fictional stuff that there'll be like a world where people are throwing lightsabers and golden snitches at each other while (laughs) and then they'll be hopping through some modern day new york and then there'll be characters from one of stephen king's novels from 30 years ago turning up which Mm. feels like which again you know that was that was something that was considered unfilmable and they've gone they found out in a film version that 
the approach they took was very wrong and now they're trying to make a tiny corner of it of a TV, as a TV series. Mm. I wonder whether Netflix... Do they are they just going to go straight adaptation with this? Do you think are they just going to try I, and adapt the comic from issue one? I would kind of hope, and actually, conversely with how I feel about Preacher, which is that I really you know I don't always feel this way about things, but I would have preferred Preacher if it had been a much straighter retelling of that story because that story itself is one of the things that I like about Preacher. So I'm less keen that it's gone in such a different direction. With Sandman, I think as long as you've got certain core things in place, I think you take Sandman, and I think in, I think you need to get to that end point, and I think you need to, there are certain key milestones you've got to hit along the way, but I would want to see a Sandman adaptation that looks at what Sandman was doing in terms of the scope of it, and f- probably finds little corners that, 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 that the comic didn't touch, or take a you know, really minor supporting character who maybe appeared for a few panels, and spin something out with them, which again, American Gods did that, and I, I wasn't super keen on the way American Gods spent a load of meandering time with minor characters from the book. But I think Sandman can support it because I think as long as you are doing a story that is in that universe and is about the concept of stories and dreams, then it will it will be a Sandman story because that's what the comic does. The comic takes. I was going to say like some of the, the some of the best issues of Sandman are ones where the main cast and characters just sort of appear for one or two panels just to yeah. do one specific thing. Are you are you thinking of the uh, Emperor of uh, America one? Yes, uh, specifically. Example, which is- Dream of a Thousand Cats as well. And yes, that's amazing. Absolutely. And that is something that translates well into TV because I mean, like, if you if you <laughs> think about some of your favourite TV shows of all time, right? If you think about your favourite shows and then nail down to your favourite episodes, a lot of the time the episodes that people love the most are the ones that tear up the format for a you know for a hot second mm-hmm. and maybe mm. follow different characters or or like you know throw out the the standard three act structure to do. Th- th- for that show anyway and, and yeah, try there and must, up and do I'm sure like right I'm sure there are X-Files episodes where like Mulder and Scully turn up for, for one act well I mean the best yeah. the best um, the best X-Files episodes are the Darren Serafian ones right where Darren yeah, Serafian yeah. goes let's do something different with this with Buffy you look at stuff like Hush and Once More Feeling which are you mm-hmm. know the mm. I mean I, Blink in Doctor Who yeah I, like stuff like the other 48 uh, the, other, the other 48 Days in Lost and mm-hmm. Flashes Flashes Before Your Eyes and The Constant which are, are you know tinkering with that con- you know with that um, that concept and doing something a little bit different with it I mean those are just that that I like. I'm sure even even sitcom Seb. I'm sure like some of your favourite Red Dwarf episodes are ones that that don't necessarily. <laughs> I'm thinking fit, fit the mold. <laughs> I'm thinking specifically of the Frank Grimes episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's that's something that TV certainly certainly the old model of TV where you had 24 episodes a season. You can go off and explore those. Little yeah, that, actually, that's part of my concern with this yeah. is that the current storytelling style is very much not this model of like, mm. let's do a small story every week. And maybe sometimes the main character won't really be in it much. It's like, let's drag out one story for 10 episodes, regardless of how it fits. Yeah. And I do think, that I mean, slightly they... concerns me. Like if Sandman had been made in the 90s, it would have been a lot cheaper. But I think it would have been a much better <laughs> fit for the format that television was doing at the time. And also with Netflix, think, how does it, you know, how does it cater to the algorithm? Yeah, exactly. Because, mm-hmm. like, Story of the Week stuff is basically dead because, like, it doesn't hook you. It doesn't it doesn't make you keep watching Netflix, right? You watch I one mean, episode and go away. Re- really interestingly, because I know, Seb, you said we, it was going to come up in relation to something else. 
three seasons of Stranger Things, right? S- season two added an extra episode and did this one episode where Eleven yeah. goes off and kind of like, it was almost like a, an X-Men kind of episode. It was very meets, X-Men. She meets other people with like similar powers and everyone who watched the show went, what the fuck is this? I'm watching this show for the 80s references where like <laughs> these kids hang out in either a mall or an arcade or something like that and they yeah. fight a monster that looks like a monster yeah like <laughs> th- this is what i want from the show and netflix in season three went back down to eight episodes and we're not going to mention that once right i, 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 I wonder whether the stranger things later on like five minutes later but i'm going to remind you of this okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting to me but the, the the other thing that i wanted to ask you guys about was and again not from a comics perspective but more from a how his relationship with adaptations is Neil Gaiman and whether you think Gaiman's more active involvement in this is a good or a bad thing because you look in the 2000s and there the were Neil Gaiman adaptations I think Coraline probably stands out as the strongest and I, a lot of people like Stardust as well in these last few years though and I think this ties into comic book movies we've seen comic book movies like you know James you said like if you'd have told me 10 years ago that I'd be seeing that I don't know like that fucking talking worm out of Shazam right Mr. Mind right (laughs) if you 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 know if you'd have told me that I'd see characters like Mr. Mind and on TV like there'd be Lobo and Brainiac on Krypton Krypton, and I wouldn't even care and Sentinels on an X-Men show right and like (laughs) all these watching yep and I think that what what has happened in tandem with that is someone like Neil Gaiman, who previously people have looked at and gone like, oh, well, obviously he's amazing in that medium, but I don't think we can make him work on the screen really in the same way. Suddenly, suddenly we're receptive to his work and we're receptive to like, how do we actually properly, properly represent it on the screen rather than trying to just do an adaptation? And I look at what, I look at what Neil Gaiman's kind of done post Coraline, and I think it's it's fair to say that American Gods didn't really work. I I I, I thought that How to Talk to Girls at Parties didn't really work, and Good Omens. Seb, I think you enjoyed it more than I did. I kind of had to turn off after two or three episodes. So the I thing, thought, I mean, this Good, Good is Omens just... gives me a bit of confidence in this. Uh, if you take a similar, I mean, actually, I wouldn't necessarily want to see a similar approach because actually, what I liked about Good Omens was that largely it was it hewed very, very close to the book. So, yeah, but see, um, so then me as someone who didn't know Good Omens at all, I watched that show and thought, "The fuck is going on here?" You're so, like, and it felt like a show that was so caught up in its own shit. You know, like, like we already know this is good I, i'll wait for you to catch up and i was going mm, I, I, you didn't get to episode three did you i turned off during episode three <laughs> i was like i can't <laughs> i can't do this anymore see the thing the thing i would say is that the adaptations you mentioned are ones where neil gaiman wasn't very heavily involved and even though you didn't like good omens it's fair to say it's been a you know a critical Moderate hit. success <laughs> certainly yeah with its audience and no one's saying like oh neil gaiman's fucked up his own book here or fucked up his mm. and terry's terry pratchett's book like no it's considered good there's the, there's a this this also just reminds me actually of a kind of tangential but i think interesting point which is something that i think is is generally being like forgotten if not even or just a flat out not known in some of the reports about sandman which is that neil gaiman doesn't own sandman Sandman is owned by DC. 
Um, now, DC have got a kind of agreement in place, uh, and whether it's formal or informal, they kind of have an agreement in place with Neil Gaiman where they consult him on anything that they do yeah, with the Sandman because, universe. Because they like the idea of having his stamp of approval and potentially exactly. him writing yeah. more, which is what happened when he did Overture, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Sandman is lock, stock and barrel a DC property the, because the character is a derivation of a pre-existing DC concept. It's the, the earliest issues of Sandman before they set up Vertigo are literally set in the DC universe. Um um, Mr. Miracle and Martian Manhunter and John Constantine uh, uh, all appear in really early issues um, and then there is a right at the very very end there is a little gag that reminds you that it's set in DC when a certain couple of superhero characters are present in a dream um, so I do find it kind of interesting that this is a Netflix thing um, you know I appreciate that it's probably a bit too big for DC Universe um, but I, I am intrigued that they've allowed Neil Gaiman to essentially take this to Netflix and wrap it up as Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, I mean, not DC's The Sandman. The deal has probably happened a lot. I don't. I mean, you know, the deals that allowed this probably took place mm. long before you know there was this kind of complete integration of, of Warner and DC. Yeah, I wonder, given how it's bounced around and there's been all these different projects, I mean, I don't know, but I wonder whether this was a project that got packaged up and sold off individually years ago. Yeah. Mm. Or, or maybe DC have just gone, we don't have a way to do this. We we can't be bothered trying to figure out a way yeah. to do this. Yeah, <laughs> and at, at worst it sells more books for to. us, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's the thing, you know, that, and that is where, again, it's like, it is a rare example of a comic that really, really does live in the bookshop. And, you know, Sandman is, I think Sandman is the only comic read by a lot of people. Um, you know, it, it has been constantly in collected print since it came out. Um, I don't know any numbers on how many copies the books have sold, but I would hazard that it's one of the biggest selling, certainly one of the biggest selling long, long running comics um, of all time. How and much? Has, and I think it's. How much is the Seb? Like, and because I know there's, there's like little spin-off, so spin-offy are, bits as well, right? Right. So the original run is seventy-five issues plus a special, so which essentially drops in to the continuity. So it's really a seventy-six issue series, which is collected in ten books. Yeah. Then a little while after it finished, there was a hardcover book called Endless Nights, which was kind of seven sort of. I think they are all prequels, but there's seven stories, one about each member of the Endless. The Endless are those personifications who I talked about earlier. They're a family of... They are uh, in descending order of age... Uh, hang on, is Death... No, Death is the oldest, isn't she? Before yeah. Destiny. Yeah, Death, Destiny, Dream, Desire, Despair, Destruction, Delirium. I, have got the I can't believe you there, spoiled but... the mystery one. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not yes, going to say who's prodigal. the mystery one, though, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, so there was Endless Nights, and then a few years ago he came back for a prequel called Sandman Overture, which was not I wouldn't call it essential, but it was way better than it had any right to be. Like you could you could happily read the main series without it, but if you like the main series, it's a little bit more um, of the same, and yeah, it's, it's got amazing. It's art. close to being a volume zero, even in terms of how well it. Yeah. Sits oh, and in there, there were. 
There was a. It generally gets kind of considered part of it with collections, but there were two spin-off books featuring Death because she really is the breakout character of the series. Death is personified as an incredibly perky young <laughs> goth, goth woman. Um, you can probably see. You can see from just from looking at a picture of her why she's so popular with a certain kind of person, uh, but also genuinely like brilliantly written character. And the issue in which she first appears is basically the issue that made the series. It's like, it's issue eight, and the series had kind of bubbled along all right, all right, and then issue eight sent it into the stratosphere. It became the biggest thing in comics, and that basically guaranteed the rest of the series' life for as long as Neil Gaiman wanted to do. And it was rare as well. As I say, bearing in mind that it was just, it wasn't like a creator-owned image thing, because such a thing didn't really exist there. It was a DC comic series that... What should have happened with it was that at some point either DC decided to cancel it due to low sales or Neil Gaiman decided he didn't want to do it anymore and so DC would put somebody else on to write it. And instead, Neil Gaiman said, I want to end it at this point and DC said, okay. Well, this is because Karen Berger was there, right? (laughs) Yeah. Because Karen Berger, who was the editor who sort of shepherded Vertigo, like, knew what was smart. And when she left, Vertigo basically fell to bits and never recovered. Mm. But I would, I mean, it, there's a danger with Sandman, and particularly if you're talking to people like me and James, who are quite, you know, who've been in and around comics all of our lives, and it feels like everything that there is to say about Sandman had probably finished being said a long time ago. But I think for people who are a bit newer to it, it's really worth reiterating that it is one of, if not the best, like, American comics ever published. It is... It is every bit as good as its reputation. And I think in recent years, I think people have kind of... I think there's a temptation, particularly I think with Neil Gaiman generally, to sort of look back on him as a bit kind of of a particular time and only of appeal to a particular kind of person and maybe a little bit... um, I don't know if twee's the right word, but... um, I think twee is the right word. (laughs) Well, yeah, okay. There, There are definitely people in comics who don't like Sandman. But I just think as a piece of comics and as an achievement in comics, um, there's barely anything better than it. And on a personal level, because of when I read it, like I was 17 when I first read Sandman, which is like the perfect age to first read Sandman. Um, And it's just, it had such a profound effect on me. And, um, you know, it's it's just something that's always been there in my life. There are are things in Sandman that, that like still aren't, like comics haven't really caught up to them still mm. like it's hard to think of any ongoing series on of sandman's scale that would have like a major storyline about trans people right mm. and yet gaiman was doing it back then because as he said you know like i was friends with people like this and you know, they weren't, their stories weren't getting told. And it's like mm. 20, 30 years later. some criticism from Modern Eyes for that arc as well, but it's like, yeah, there are some, when he was doing it and what he was doing. Yeah, there are some readings of it, certainly, that you can go like, well, this was poor, a poor mm. choice. <laughs> but I also think artistically there still aren't many comics like it because obviously you'll get like long-running series that will have different artists working on them. But the thing about Sandman is every time... Because like usually... Each story arc has maybe like one main artist, or they'll, or some of the story arcs are basically anthologies with completely different artists working on every issue. And if you pick up two books of the Sandman, you will see art that is so different in style. And I, I don't know any other comic that stylistically 
goes through such a wide range of artists and storytelling styles. It's mm-hmm. like it is in itself like a little encyclopedia of comics art. It's like you could hand it to someone and go, "This is what comics look like," and almost every kind of comic is represented in there somewhere. Is it as good though as when that that ball trickled for the six runs that got England right in touch with <laughs> in the World Cup earlier today? You can't do back references to stuff we talked about before the mics are switched on. <laughs> we it's had not going to work. Conversation before the pod about how James doesn't understand how sport is an art form. <laughs> <laughs> the problem like the one thing i would say is the problem with sandman right not with not with sport i'm done with sport. That it's, um, that, that, that it's not cricket the, the first i bet i bet there's cricket in sandman oh. i'm sure i'm sure the dead boy detectives talk about cricket i was, gonna, I was, gonna, I was literally just gonna say if anyone does it would be the dead boys yeah um <laughs> the the problem with sandman right is that volume one is pretty ropey the thing that, yeah, because volume one was he was basically writing it as a late 80s DC horror comic. Yeah, and it's a really good uh, horror comic, but it's just a sort of trashy horror comic. Yeah. Until you get to the end and then you're like, oh. I even think, I mean, the second, it seems weird to say it, isn't it? Like, oh, the first arc isn't very good and the second one isn't the best. And and, and I hate when people go, oh, you know, you have to wait this long for it to get good. I think the thing with Sandman is as long as you approach it in the right way, it is all good from the start. It's just that the stuff that people are talking about when they talk yeah. about why it's the best is, it really kicks off with Season of Mists. It's the. It's a bit um, like if you, if people go like, oh, the, the MCU is amazing and you're like, oh, I just watch Hulk and like, what the hell's going on there? <laughs> Is it, Seb, like season one of The Office? No, it's better than (laughs) season one of The Office and season one of Parks, definitely. It's it's not on that level. It's just... And it it introduces a lot of stuff that gets paid off later on. And I'd say as a horror thing, it's very, very good, but it's it's very limited to that genre. And then after that, it really starts to break out. And I think the second arc struggles because probably the weakest artist is is on the second... I mean, the the second arc, don't want to spoiler anything too much, but I will just say, and this gives you an idea of the kind of concept that gets brought up in Sandman, a convention for serial killers <laughs> happens in in the second arc, and it's such a brilliant concept, and it's done so well. Uh, but the the arc that's called Season of Mists, that is the big Lucifer arc, basically. Uh, even though he's not actually in it loads, but he's he's the inciting event for it. Um, that's when it becomes this big sprawling thing about myth. I think and, and <laughs> I think Season of Season of Mists is my favourite arc. I think for me it's the kindly ones, but there's no point talking about that because that's like the penultimate <laughs> one. And it's, you know, um, but that's the. I think there are. I mean, I think you could, even though it is like the fourth book in a series, a lot of them are books that you could pick up and read in their own right. Season of Mist, and then there's a later one called Brief Lives, and probably a Game of Year as well. Although I'm, I am not as quite as keen on that one as the others. They are all. They can all be individually picked up, and that's why I think to bring to circle us all the way back round to the discussion of adaptation. Each one of these books could make a really good self-contained season in their own right that doesn't hinge. You know, you you could get, unfortunately it's Netflix, so they probably won't, but you could get several seasons into this show and just have these individual seasons that work on their own merits and it doesn't matter if you've been following it from the start or not. Um, I just, I don't want to see it go down the 10-hour movie route. I just, I don't want it to just be doing, you know, I think the reason people have said, oh, you can't adapt it into a movie is that there's so much to do. 
but I don't want them to just go, well, now we've got an 11-hour running time for this first season. Let's spread out the events of the first book over 11 hours and not actually structure it properly as individual stories and episodes. Because, again, part of the joy of Sandman is so many of those issues, are, even when they are part of a longer-form story arc, work so well as self-contained issues. And I would not want to lose that because it's about stories, so getting the storytelling right it's so important for it. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Sandman's not the only um, major comic series that's been announced as... Well, actually, I think this one... Is this one announced or confirmed? Um, it's reported by The Wrap um, that Paper Girls is being adapted by Amazon. Uh, oh, so a comic Girls, that it, I have read. Ah, yes, a, a recent comic by Brian K. Vaughan and Cliff Chang. Um, and yes, if you've read it, Joe, you will already know why I wanted you to bring up Stranger Things <laughs> a little bit later in the episode. Yeah, it's the Stranger Things with Girls comic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is about a group of, well, paper delivery girls in 1988 to whom strange things happen, kind of involving time travel. <laughs> less I mean, less I, I, strange things. <laughs> yeah, strangeish things. Um, are we are we all people who read like a few issues of Paper Girls and thought it was quite good, but didn't really persist with it? I think uh, I got like twenty I read, issues in. I read oh, right, okay. none of it because now when something comes so out Joe, and it's this... really like critically acclaimed, I wait for it to be <laughs> actually good by the end before uh, yes. I start. <laughs> Wait, wait to not get to that point where everyone goes, oh man, remember when that comic started really well, but by God, the ending was shit, by which I mean every Nick Spencer comic. <laughs> um, actually, no, because they don't always get to the end. I, think I mean, Brian Vaughan comics do that as well, and that's kind of yeah. why I didn't, didn't read it. So, Well, yeah, but, but Brian Vaughan's left Saga on a cliffhanger, and I'm kind of like, he might be better off just, <laughs> just leaving it forever. Yeah. yeah, seriously, it's like it could actually end where it ended. Anyway, I'm really intrigued by the fact that on the episode that that I'm hosting and taking the Joe role, we have a comic where Joe knows more about it than any of the rest of us. So, Joe, talk to us about Paper Girls. So, 
why this is this is really interesting, right? Because I mean, this is the kind of thing that we did talked about four or five years in the podcast ago on the podcast and said, uh, yeah, they're they're developing it, but it's probably never going to happen. But I, you know, it, when your probably your pitch is this is Amazon's Stranger Things potentially, then I think it's probably got a chance of making it to the screen. Um, but here's the weird thing, right? So Brian K. Vaughan, his comics, you just talked about the cliffhangers. Like, that's the... That feels to me like his defining motif, is that there is always a big-ass splash page that makes you go, mm. even if I was moderately interested by this issue, you've just kind of made me feel like the next issue is going to be amazing. Yeah. It's interesting, I think, I, I, I think you already kind of drew that distinction of it's not always a cliffhanger as such. Like, sometimes yeah. it is. But it's it's just it's the last page. The last page might be a cliffhanger, or it might just be something happens, or it might be something is revealed, or, or this. It, it's like this character you haven't seen for twenty issues is back, or yeah. this. I mean, because I, I mean, I, I don't know all of Brian K. Vaughan's work, but I mean, I've read a lot of Saga and I read mm. a lot of Paper Girls. Um, I mean, the archetypal example for me is still Ex Machina. Which is uh, I don't know if we talked about it before, but it's a series that's about a former superhero who's now mayor of New York, and uh, the 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 page at the end of the first issue that is genuinely one of the most memorable single page splashes in a comic um, is at the end of the of the first issue. He's there talking to his old kind of like his kind of Alfred slash Q slash whatever guy, like you know his his tech support guy who's really who wants him to come back as a superhero. And he says to him, "Oh, you know, look at what happened. If you hadn't put your costume back on that day in September, look how many people would have died." And then you turn to the last page and he says, "No, if I was really a hero." And you turn to the last page and there's one twin tower standing, and he says, "If I was really a hero, I would have been here in time to stop the first plane." And it's like, whoa. I don't, okay, I know that nowadays... Probably, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, that. Well, yeah, but, you know, it's kind of a, generally a bit of a cliche to do 9-11-y stuff, but this was relatively close afterwards. I was going to say, I think given the time frame, yeah, probably it was a bit a bolder than it seems now. The last page. Yeah. Now it's like shorthand for like, hey, the world's different. Like, There yeah. was that joke, we still can't tell whether it actually happened in yesterday or not. Mm. But there was a joke going around <laughs> the internet that the Beatles... Not being around, left made the twin towers like still stand. So, yeah. But at the t- as I say, this I think this was in like two thousand and four. I think the first issue was. Also, a lot of X Machina ended up being about U.S. politics and the war on terror and that kind of thing. So it was quite <laughs> again relevant. seems pretty quaint in retrospect. Yeah, it does rather. <laughs> if only that was a concern now. Yeah. So this anyway, this sounds topic. like right that Brian K Vaughan is not. It, this is not the Neil Gaiman situation with. Sandman, Brian everyone's not going to be involved with this, which I think, get, uh, or not, no, maybe not right, maybe not directly writing episodes. No, he he's he's writing and exec producing alongside Stephanie Folsom, the co-writer of Toy Story Four. Oh, I thought that. So he's he's got a multi-year deal with Legendary, and this is the first thing out as a result of it, according to the rap. I uh, so according to Deadline, <laughs> Stephanie Folsom is writing. And Brian Kevron is producing. Okay, well, we've got two conflicting reports. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, I mean, that'll be interesting either way because, I mean... I... The Raps report says a person with knowledge of the situation told them oh. this. So. Well, I mean, Brian Kevron's actual TV work, his lost episodes, 
none of them really show. I mean, and obviously I'm a lost scholar. None of them would show up in your like top top ten, top twenty list. The weird, of lost the weird thing about his lost episodes is that they always drop comics references, and that's how I knew they were <laughs> <laughs> they were written by him. Yeah, I remember that from the time actually. Yeah, under the dome is bad, right? Yes, <laughs> and and he show ran that, but. So, and here's the thing that I want to circle back to at the start. From his comics, I think that, you know, talking about that, like, that big splash page at the end that always makes you want to come back and and, what, and read the next one. That would make you feel like he is, his work is uniquely suited to Yeah, it's, it's TV. exactly that episodic thing we were just talking about. He very much deals in episodes. Um, but reading... You know, him, and, him and Fiona Staples make Saga. Every, you know, every issue of Saga is... They, they want it to be an object and a self-contained... Not self-contained, because it is an ongoing story, but, you know, they want it to be a satisfying individual experience in its own right. And for, and for Saga, I can't imagine taking that project and going, do you know what, we're going to try and make a movie out of this rather than a TV series. <laughs> but for Paper Girls, I actually think the, the more interesting route here would have been, let's make a movie out of it. Let's not make a series. Because, I mean, like, the, the hook is good, right? It is for female Paper Girls... In the 80s. And it's not that the comic isn't nostalgia porn like Stranger Things is. They don't have to they don't have to walk through a cinema that's showing Back to the Future with no thematic ties in the episode to why Back to the Future would be that choice other than it's Back to the Future. <laughs> you know, that that doesn't that you don't it's not a comic that feels like it is doing the eighties to go. Oh, do you remember this thing from the 80s? And do you remember that thing from the 80s? It feels like it's a comic that's set in a certain period so it can then have fun with the time travel stuff after that. And yeah, the, the actual concept feels a bit throwbacky in a Super 8 kind of way, I would say. And that's actually why I think that it would probably be more fun as a movie because the time travel stuff, it's... <sighs> It's it it like it doesn't feel like a huge world paper girls in the same way that Saga does. Um, it feels like it feels fairly self-contained. It's about these four characters and time travel and aliens and all this weird stuff comes into play. Like the comic doesn't waste much time like just doing the like oh it's some paper girls in the eighties. It like it goes straight into the the kind of high concept sci-fi stuff. And I actually think I would quite like a an ambitious writer to take that comic and try and try and fit that into, into like a hundred minutes and, and do a, and do a Netflix or an Amazon movie out of it rather than a series because, and, and I imagine the reason they want to do series is let's do stranger things on Amazon. Um, <laughs> financially, I think that makes sense, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure that this is a, this is a concept that has, well, I mean, stranger things doesn't have new plot. Stranger things. Just <laughs> I was going to say like, New I think, scenarios. I think the amount you dislike Stranger Things might be colouring your expectations of this. I don't dislike Stranger Things, right? I think Stranger Things is <laughs> is, fl- is flawed but very watchable, right? I'm not but, even sure it's flawed. I think it's just unambitious. <clears throat> it's it's it has a it has a limited scope in what it can do with its storytelling, and each season it just has to go. You know these characters. Well, I'm. You remember how you like them. We've got new 80s references we can do. Let's do it. <laughs> they kind let's... of scraped the barrel with that Day of the Dead reference, I thought, <laughs> at the start of the current one. But Let's just do it all over again, right? And and we'll, and we'll do that ad infinitum until people stop caring. I mean, it worked, and... for, it worked for Orange is the New Black. 
Yeah, and and I and, and and yeah, I just think the more interesting version for me with Paper Girls, like when you said that, Seb, I was hoping you were going to say movie, but you said TV, <laughs> but you said TV show, and immediately my interest kind of dropped a little bit. But Paper I mean, Girls is is fun. It's it's a fun little comic, even though I eventually stopped reading it. I mean, at least we know it's not going to be a massively long running series because it is Amazon, so uh, <laughs> we know it's going to get two seasons. And speaking of second seasons on Amazon, uh, I've got a little segue into the next bit. Uh, it's only a little thing, but there's a detail. There's there's uh, reports about casting for season two of The Boys. Um, an actress called Aya Cash from You're the Worst. Oh, I is... love Aya Cash. <laughs> okay, well, Aya Cash is going to be playing Stormfront in the likely second season of The Boys, according to Deadline. Is Stormfront um, named for the reason I think they're named? Yes. Okay, that's, uh, that's all right. The interesting thing about this bit of casting is that Stormfront is a man in uh, the comic, and yes, it is basically Nazi Captain Marvel. Is pretty much <laughs> what Stormfront is. That's a fun idea. Um, yeah. So um, one of one of the most famous covers of an issue of the boys um, is like a, a homage to the All Star Superman one cover where Superman's sitting on the cloud, but it's Stormfront in his Nazi costume and lots of burning and stuff is going on underneath him. Um, so I mean, it, 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 there's as much Superman as there is in him, but the point is obviously the boys has a Superman analog, which is the Homelander, and Stormfront is kind of the secondary Superman. Um, so he's, as I say, I, I, that's why I'd kind of think of him as Captain Marvel slash Shazam. Um, but yeah, so the fact that they're apparently casting a female actress to play the character, and also it seems that Amazon are already looking to a second season of the boys, mm. which they will no doubt give no promotion and then replace <laughs> with another comic book adaptation. Amazon have really girls. like refined <laughs> their process of not giving things promotion because To Alter Die Young came out and like no one noticed. They just well, went, oh, we don't know how to sell this, so you just search for it yourselves. The reason why Amazon don't have a promotional budget for any other show is that they covered every train station in the UK with pictures of David Tennant and Michael Sheen. <laughs> so, uh. Cash um, is great, though, right? You're, you're the worst is... Um, it hasn't had a hasn't had a great like exposure in the UK, uh, but it's a very good FX show. Um, Chris Gear and Aya Cash and Kevin Donahue, all of them. Now that that show is over, I would imagine are going to do uh, going to do lots of good things. Um, James, you'd enjoy Chris Gear. He is I, I can only describe him in, in You're the Worst as like uh, John Robbins in a sitcom. Sounds good to me. I mean, John Robbins seems to be in a sitcom anyway, so yeah. <laughs> um, and and Aya Cash plays the, the the female lead in that show opposite Chris Gear, and is remarkable. Like super super funny, but also plays the the dramatic stuff in that show in which she at certain times has had to like carry a huge dramatic ver- burden in a in a like. In a, in like what can be quite a smutty sitcom, um, she's she's fantastic, and like if she was popping up in a show that I was interested in, I would be very excited. So if the boys season one is good, <laughs> this sounds great. I don't think it's going to be that good, mm. to be honest. <laughs> we'll see. It might be. I was optimistic before. I'm just less so now. So after a good solid hour of uh, TV chat, I suppose we should probably move on to some movie stuff. Um, and as I say, there's kind of all we've kind of really got are 
people talking about things and people talking about proper casting. So let's do the main bit of talking about things, uh, which is Todd Phillips has been talking to... Well, I say has been talking to. Um, prob- presumably spoke a while ago on the set of Joker to yeah. Empire, because <laughs> Empire have put out their big feature um, with a load more detail and photos and stuff and, and interviews um, based around the film. Um, and Todd Phillips has gone for the let's get some headlines by yep. saying comic uh, comic book fans are going to be mad about our film because we don't follow anything from the comic <laughs> books. We just wrote our own version of where a guy like Joker might come from. That's what was interesting to me. We're not even doing Joker, but the story of becoming Joker, it's about this man. Um, I mean, I kind of wish I could muster up anger about them not following the comics, but I don't really care if it's good it's good and i think we we have discussed this before any issues that we might have with what this film may be have got nothing to do with whether it's a good adaptation of a comic or not the thing i find funny right is the idea that like oh yeah we're really going to upset the comic book fans like by what existing (laughs) that's all you need to do to upset comic book fans it's it's marketing right and it's and it's smart marketing yeah 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 it's 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 a funny it's a funny angle to take in terms of marketing like oh the comic book fans will be upset and it's like yeah what like they were upset about every other comic movie but this isn't but this so this is this is todd phillips going we are trying to sell this movie on not being a comic book movie. And you can do that with the Joker because that's kind of what Christopher Nolan did. Christopher Nolan successfully sold the narrative of, yeah, this is Batman, but this like, this is a Batman that you can enjoy. This is a Batman that's serious. And do you know, like we take a lot of inspiration from heat. Do you know heat? It's a Michael Mann movie. Well, just wait until you sweat until you see it guys. We've got William Fickner and everything, right? That's what, that's what, that's what Chris Nolan successfully sold. And Warner brothers and Todd Phillips, I think know that they have the potential to do that as well. They've got a movie with Quacking Phoenix and Robert De Niro in it. You can sell this movie as a movie that, that transcends comic book people comic book uh, fans, those guys are going to turn up for it anyway. I think even more if you poke them, they're going to turn up just to tell you, like, well, I did like it, so screw you. Um, and then, uh, and then you <laughs> didn't work for Justice League, did it? <laughs> but then your other people who kind of, like, just dismiss comic book movies might go... Have you seen this whacking thing? I mean, I don't normally like comic book movies. I mean, like from Avengers Endgame, it just looks silly. But uh, this whacking Phoenix movie, you know, I hear it's not—it's not for comic book fans. It's for me. But yeah, I think I—I—I I, I, I think they've been smart with how they're marketing this movie, and. You know, it might turn up and be be a, a huge old turd, and we'll all forget about it quickly. But I think if it lands with any kind of critical. Uh, a claim we could be talking about this in February at the Oscars next year, which is and I know is nuts for a Todd Phillips movie, right? But it it it's it seems like it's a movie that's trying to position itself that way at the very least. This is a serious movie that's going to arrive closer to the end of the year that you should be giving serious co- consideration to. Could be enough. That's, <laughs> that's definitely what they're shooting for, and that's you can see that again from the way that they're talking about it. Um, I just I really have no idea about this. I I I I don't think it's not going to be interesting, and that's the worst thing that this film could be is boring. Um, and I don't think it will be that. I do think it will be interesting. I think that I mean that you know it's not go over again the kind of concerns we have about 
turning this particular character into this thing because and I think it's actually no just to touch on it for a minute it's not just I'm not just saying like you shouldn't make a film about somebody who is a deranged psychopath in a way that might invite you to sympathize with them in some way I think specifically with the Joker and given specific history of not too long ago events um, the Joker as a kind of iconography figure for people who might decide yeah to... like the people who put on v masks and like cause trouble for other people are gonna watch yeah. the joker movie or potentially gonna watch this joker movie and think oh that's a good idea it's it's the fact that the joker is a character that already has a lot of cultural cachet and a lot of you know there is a coolness associated with dressing up as the joker especially if you do it in this messed up grungy way of the heath ledger style which while they are going a different route it is still kind of what they're doing here um it, it's just i feel like they are being a little bit ignorant of what happened what is it, 11 years ago uh i i i really i really think you've got to you've got to at the very least give this movie the chance to be released right yeah true. if oh, it, no, if it yeah, does yeah. all right no that, that it, is based on assumptions about yeah. what it's doing if it if it does all those things if yeah. it does all those yeah. things i think it will be absolutely fine to have that conversation but at the same time i think but we don't like, know if what you, it's doing yet if yeah. you released if like <clears throat> if martin scorsese released taxi driver today right film twitter would fucking hate it because like are you do, you know are you doing this are you doing that are you encouraging these people like i <sighs> No, it's I, di- yeah, it's I, I, difficult because yeah. I think like kind of those uh, the, like those truly like <sighs> those truly messed up people are going to find that stuff anyway. Oh, completely. And, 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 and I'm not saying that this is a film that will make people act like that. It's more it, when you put a certain level of dress on it, you you give that type of people a kind of cultural coolness. So if you associate it with a character that people want to dress up as that's where I think you potentially have an issue. But you're right. I mean, it's, it, it's hypothetical. Yeah, this, I mean, these, I mean, these are this, our fears, could, not yeah, and this could be yeah. this could be a movie that presents this guy as, like, just the fucking worst. I really... Like, uh, my hope for this movie is that it, you end the film going, like, wow, what a loser. But my yeah. fear is that you're going to end it going, like, oh, that, that was a good idea to become mm. a serial killer. I mean, listen, but, but with, there, was, clear, there was one like, comic book movie if, recently that we ended thinking, wow, he's a loser, and Venom remains one of the, <laughs> one of the most fascinating comic book movies ever made. Yeah. I mean, yeah, do, do, but I think the, the point about all of this is, though, if the movie doesn't do those things that we're worried about, I really will not care that it's not a close adaptation of Joker from the comics or that the only reason that it's called Joker is that they've just borrowed that character name and look to sell their film that's about something completely different. I don't care. If it's a good film and if I come out of it going, that was an enjoyable film and a, and a you know, it, it doesn't, it isn't a problematic experience, then great, frankly, you know, because I do think that trailer was stylish as hell and, and did, I think, a lot to sell the movie to people it's swacking phoenix sorry it's it's yeah. gonna it's gonna be interesting and you know like i, I kind of approach this as like the that brian azzarello joker uh graphic novel that you or ogn that you mm. made me uh that you re- made me read recommended me on the podcast <laughs> um like yeah, they, well, yeah. That we said existed yeah some kind of some out of continuity thing do you know what if it doesn't quite work it doesn't quite work 
but this is this is one guy telling their story about the Joker. If it doesn't work, we're probably not going to care that much about it. It's probably. Uh, I think your your biggest fear is uh, it it's it's pretty good, but with a dodgy um, with a dodgy moral center. That's the worst case scenario for this movie because then mm. it gets then it gets credibility and it gets talked about and and it plays into your worst fears. So I think you either want it to be really bad or you want it to be good. <laughs> you want it to be good with a with a, a, a stronger moral core than you are anticipating. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very narrow window. <laughs> it is for a Tom um, Phillips movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do have more optimism for Joker than for The Eternals, and I can't believe I'm choosing to bring up The Eternals, given our previous conversation. And this but... is purely based on the last Marvel movie not being very good. <laughs> so anyway, um, two different people have been being quite heavily linked with roles in the Eternals recently, and I just think it's quite interesting that in that in one report that mentions both of their responses to it, um, the responses are very different. So the first one is Millie Bobby Brown. Uh, yes, we're back on Stranger Things, um, and on Instagram. Uh, uh, Millie Bobby Brown said, Everybody thinks that I'm going to be in a Marvel movie, not that I know of. My family and I have no idea, so I just want to let everyone know that I'm not as of right now. <laughs> Which isn't totally non-committal, but I think is is a reasonable sort of, uh, you know, I, I don't think that necessarily suggests that she is. That, I have, that's I the have kind not of, signed a contract yet. Yeah, that's the kind well, of thing, I like, it's... they're still hammering it out. I could be, we've definitely talked yeah. about it, but I won't know until the ink is dry. Hey Marvel, yeah. look how many likes this Instagram. Yeah, post exactly. Got. <laughs> <laughs> hey. yeah. Whereas Kamal Nanjiani uh, was interviewed by Variety talking about Stuber, and he said, uh, "I cannot comment on that. It would be so great to be part of a superhero <laughs> film. I would love it so much." There is only one kind of person who cannot comment on things, and it's people who have signed NDAs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so current- you can only not comment on something if you're doing it. So currently, the Eternals IMDb page has Richard Madden, Angelina Jolie, Salma Hayek, Kamel Nanjiani, and Dong Siok Ma uh, credited. Right, as these yeah, are the but people. It's IMDb, IMDb. Yeah, yeah. But so, so those are those are the people that I think the slightly firmer rumours have been surrounded. Mm. You know, I mean, this is a movie that hasn't been announced, right? That Marvel haven't told us anything that they're making beyond. That no, that everything that they've told yeah, us even Black Widow which is manifestly out. being made has not been announced mm. yeah that is yes, that, yeah but that's right because now. we've got SDCC in yeah. uh, less yes. than a couple of weeks yep. uh, uh, next uh, week oh we'll need to do a special won't yeah, we will guys, if anything actually comes next out. week that's why there's not much news uh, yeah. one because Marvel haven't announced anything two because San Diego Comic Con's coming up so so bear that in mind but Kamel, um has got ripped we've been talking about this off mic Kamel's got super hench recently and again you know in regards to that interview he's like oh i can't tell you why i've got hench um (laughs) the reason is because he's going to be one of the leads in the eternals and this feels like such a chris pratt narrative right this feels like (laughs) the guy the guy that's got hopefully he turns into less of a dick yes well yeah i mean and kamel does i mean i've been investing in kamel for quite a long time like I, i remember seeing him show up kind of in in small roles in movies i remember the kings of summer and the five-year engagement like just like he's a quite distinctive guy and you notice him when he turns up in things and then i was like <laughs> men in black 
Well, well, I and I hear he's the best part of the new Men in Black. I don't. I haven't seen that movie, so I can't <laughs> can't really comment. But like, Kamel is uh, a guy that I've been investing in as well because he, uh, I was a long time listener of the Harmontown podcast, and he was a frequent guest on that with his wife Emily V. Gordon and. The two of them told their story on that podcast about how they got together and uh, Emily's illness. And I think I watched uh, the Big Sick because you like wouldn't shut up about it. Yeah, and so and so when the film. when the Big Sick came out, I was like, the the movie that these two people who I am invested in have made, dramatizing that story that they told on a podcast that I was very invested <laughs> in. Like, and I like I was um, I've always been kind of rooting for this guy, and. The Big Sick, they got an Oscar nomination. Um, he starred in it. I mean, and there's not many people who look like Kamel Nanjiani who get to star in movies. And this, and so, and for that reason, this feels like for me a bigger deal than when Chris Pratt got Guardians. That a guy called Kamel Nanjiani, who looks like Kamel Nanjiani, is potentially about to lead a major Marvel franchise opposite Angelina Jolie, right? Um, he starred in Stuba recently, which is what you were talking about. Um, uh, it, you know, where where this has come from, these quotes. But he starred in Stuba opposite Dave Bautista, which, he, you know, like he, he will have been offered, I imagine, a, a bunch of movies off the back of The Big Sick. He kind of went for Men in Black International, which is a voice role. Uh, which tanked, but and he went for Stuber, which let's see how that goes. But Stuber, he starred in opposite Dave Bautista. Um, I listened to an in- interview with Kamel on the Bill Simmons podcast recently, and Dave Bautista and Kamel are now really good friends. Apparently, Kamel turned up at WrestleMania <laughs> and was like supporting Dave Bautista. Um, in what I'm t- I'm not a wrestling guy, but in what I'm told was his like retirement. Uh, fight at wrestlemania um and these two he was saying like we are really tight now like this and this guy has been so important to me off screen and i think batista has been putting him on the track of getting super hench now batista obviously is a marvel guy He's not just a Marvel guy, he's a Marvel cosmic guy with very strong ties to James Gunn, which I know it's all gone quiet on this, but before James Gunn was removed from Marvel the first time, right, before he came back, Mm -hmm. all the talk was James Gunn is building up the cosmic side of Marvel, almost consider him as like Kevin Feige's consigliere when it comes to the cosmic side of the MCU. Now, the tease at the end of Far From Home was the cosmic side of the MCU. One of the first films of Phase 4 is going to be The Eternals, which is the cosmic side of uh, the MCU. I think Kamel and his friendship with Dave Bautista that has blossomed over the course of filming Stuba, you know, that that friendship might have played into things. And, and there's I, you another member of the Guardians in Stuba as well. Uh, who was Oh, I haven't seen Stuba. Oh, Karen Gillan. I had the IMDb up in front of me. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like, I I fully expect Kamel to be in this movie. I don't just expect him to be in it. I expect him to be, like, if not lead, co-lead of this movie. And I know you guys don't care because it is a movie called The Eternals. But <laughs> Chloe Zhao is a director who has a huge amount of cred coming off the rider. Um, and... 
again, I just, you know, Angelina Jolie, Richard Madden, Salma Hayek, Mel Nanjiani, throw Millie Bobby Brown in there if that if that's what happens. Like, I don't know, like, base level, I don't, I don't care if I know nothing about The Eternals. I'm psyched for this movie, and I, re- I really, really hope that Kamel is the lead guy in this movie, and I hope he gets to take his shirt off, and I hope he gets a moment, like Chris Pratt got in Guardians, which is, you know, it is going to be great for representation on the big screen when millions of people around the world are lusting after Kamel Nanjiani, who is a guy... <laughs> Almost is, as much as you do. Yeah, handsome <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> and I want to kiss him on his mouth. The end. <laughs> I will go back to drinking my whiskey. Good night. <laughs> Joe is celebrating the cricket, you may have noticed. Yeah. Um I ran out of beers, you guys. <laughs> it's just whiskey. Well, that's right. I mean, I think remaining. I think we probably uh, it's good actually because I I um I've reached a point where I've got a couple of things that I just wanted to bring up because I was worried we didn't have enough news, but of course then we spent 45 minutes talking about Sandman, which I should have predicted that we would do. I I had wanted to talk a little bit um, about the ongoing uh, announcements because they're filming it at the moment of Bill and Ted Face the Music because there is a Bill and Ted comic and that was my (laughs) shoehorning justification and they've cast Kristen Schaal as what seems to be their replacement character for Rufus Um, and uh, but we we don't really need to fill a load of time talking about Bill and Ted Face the Music. I just think it looks like it's going to be great and I'm really, really excited and looking forward to it. And nothing that's come out about it has made me unhappy and they've pissed off a load of dickheads on the internet. Yeah, who are like, oh, those meeting. babies are clearly boys. Yeah, despite, yeah. So, so little Bill and little Ted are actually girls. Um, so and they're being played... Um, but Seb, that's the that's the piece of casting news that you should get excited about. Um, Bridget... Lundy Payne, who is playing Ted's daughter in the movie, uh, is in a Netflix show called Atypical, which is not fantastic, but uh, my wife watched, so I watched it. I watched the first season with her. She's a star. She is going to be, she's going to be a big, big star. And I, as soon as I saw that she'd been cast in the new Bill and Ted, I was like, oh, right, okay, mm. we're on, we're on safe footing here. <laughs> and Samara Weaving, who's playing uh, Little Bill. Uh, or it's Billy and Thea rather than Little Bill and Little Ted. Uh, is a seems to be a, like it's it's like she's a genetic cross between um, uh, names gone out of my head. Oh, it's Margot Winter. Robbie and uh, Emma Stone. Oh right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> she looks. I mean, she is Australian and she looks a lot like Margot Robbie. It's it's quite weird. Um, but yeah, no. The funniest thing about that is that you've had all these guys uh, going, "Oh, they, but they were boys in Bogus Journey." One, they never actually said that they were boys, and two, the babies who played Little Bill and Little Ted in Bogus Journey, <laughs> as Ed Solomon revealed on Twitter, were girls. So, uh, yes, Little Bill and Little Ted were girls all along. You know, I'm the, I'm not um, massively attached to Bill and Ted in the way you are, but even I, nobody's have, massively attached. You to are it quite, yeah. <laughs> Ed Solomon is not that attached to Bill and Ted. Um, <laughs> But I was looking at these photos and being like really excited. I'm I'm kind of into it. And like I, I, I also guys, I, I love Bill and Ted. Yeah, like I I really <laughs> love the original movies. I haven't watched them for decades. Um, but it's not like when they brought back Ghostbusters, and I was like, yeah, I'm not even interested. Mm. Like, I mean, we're we're at peak Keanu. 
the Keanu backlash has not happened. Yeah. Segway, <laughs> Kevin Feige said he's just basically waiting to find a role that Keanu can play in the MCU. Nah. Um, just find, I've, I've find, got mine. find I've, I've already got my pick. Save it for a future pick. Nah, if, I mean, find it. find the man a role in Shang Chi. He needs to be in that side of the Marvel <laughs> universe. Um, it. it you know, hopefully the the Keanu backlash doesn't happen before this movie because it feels like uh, th- at this point we're worship- worshiping him like a god. So yeah. uh, <laughs> he, once- he just needs to say one stupid thing and then yeah. he just needs to say he can play anything. <laughs> he can play a tree. Tree could <laughs> play a tree. Let's face it. But yeah, uh, it feels like the perfect time to do it. And then, like, Alex Winter very helpfully hasn't aged. So. <laughs> well, no, the, well, the funny thing about Alex Winter is, is that people were making jokes for years. Because if you look at Alex Winter over, like, the last 10 years or so, and I saw a film with him in, because he, do, he, do, he mainly makes documentaries now, he doesn't act very much. But he was in a film, and I forget the title of it, um, but it was where it was basically Phone Booth, but with a piano, and it starred Elijah. Grand Wood. piano. <laughs> Sorry, Phone Booth yeah. with a piano. Phone yeah. booth with a piano. Yeah. Yes. Um, Speed on a piano is, is what they it. used to be referred to as. And Alex Winter was the baddie in it, and I interviewed him for Den of Geek for it, and because I wasn't going to turn down the opportunity to do an interview with Alex Winter, um, so I watched this film. And over that, you know, when he's kind of made appearances or when people have seen him, I've seen people like make cracks about his weight because he's some, you know, at different times he's kind of put a bit more weight on. I've seen people look at when it, when this film was announced and when they did their video announcing it, people were going, Oh, well, Keanu's Keanu, but Alex Winter looks so old, man. It's going to be. And then all of a sudden, these photos come out of them filming and he's got himself in shape. He's got himself ripped. He just looks like Bill from 20, 30 years ago. Guys, should we all get ourselves in shape? That would be beneficial to our lives. We we can be in films. Should I I put this whiskey down? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Down your throat, maybe. Joe, you're about to have a child. You've got no chance. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Should I buy more whiskey? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's all that will help you now. Um, but no, I, I, my the thing that I've always thought all along with this Bill and Ted is that we've known that it is something that Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson have wanted to do for a while. They've had this script and this idea in their locker for a while. This isn't, oh, let's go and make a popular revival of, of something that was popular from 20 or 30 years ago. This is, we've always felt that we've wanted to do this next part of the story. <laughs> and the time and is now right. now the time yeah. is right. They've got Dean Parizzo, who made Galaxy Quest, which is a wonderful sci-fi comedy. So it feels like they've got the right kind of director on it um i just i mean I'm, i am setting myself up for a massive fall if it turns out to be bad but i am i'm so excited about this film i and i can't imagine what it's going to feel like actually it's it's going to feel as much like going to see the earliest marvel films when i go and see this in the cinema that's that's how strongly i feel about bill and ted right this is this is really stretching the uh comic book movie podcast well there was thing, a right? really really so, good comic book adaptation of it by Evan Dorking. <laughs> that's an adaptation though right <laughs> so uh, but i'm sure our listeners are going like mm, guys you're straying off the remit here um yeah. can can we use this opportunity to explain why the matrix is a superhero movie <laughs> uh, to justify before we get to our next oh, episode. Oh, true, yes, because our next episode is on The Matrix and we didn't really explain why we've justified it as being a... Well, I mean, it's a superhero movie. Ignore the ignore the fact that it's got such obvious inspiration from comic books, including The Invisibles, and as James has, has noted on his rewatch of it, especially Sandman. And manga, and... Yeah, there's a lot yeah, of Ghost, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. But, it's, 
But it is literally a superhero story, isn't it? He has superpowers. It's a I superhero think story. You, uh, spoilers for The Matrix, 20-year-old <laughs> movie The Matrix. But the final shot of The Matrix is him flying off into the air whilst he's wearing his superhero costume. Yep. He's, he's a guy who has... Um, like he kind of has a secret identity, right? Yeah, he's he's Thomas Anderson, and then he is Neo. Neo is a superhero. A superhero name. Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. Genre wise, it did a very good job of hiding it under its surface, but it is it's because you know it wasn't trendy to do that at the time. But it's completely a superhero movie, no question. So, yeah. and if you disagree, don't listen to that episode. Or no, do listen to it, and we'll persuade you. <laughs> What a movie, though. That's I've already I saw it two days ago, and it's still great. <laughs> There's some bits that are funny, but you know, unintentionally so. But uh, we'll get to it. I'm looking forward to discussing it with you guys. Um, well, before we wrap up on this, and we'll we'll come to our, our final section for this in a little bit. I d- had also just wanted to note a couple of bits of sad news uh, re- uh, relating to the genre. Uh, I think most people were aware that Rip Torn uh, passed away. Uh, mm-hmm. in the last week um, which I did actually see first by virtue of the post from the Rip Torn has outlived Twitter account that was literally where I first saw the news uh, but it's relevant to us because obviously he was Zed, is it Zed or Z in the first two Men in Black films My my uh, delineation between English English and American English has been destroyed by uh, decades of American pop culture and, and crucially, American <laughs> football. So I, I now don't know which the right one is for any of this stuff. But yeah, I, I think it's. I think he's. He actually no. He, yeah, he's no. He, I've just looked at. He is Zed, but yeah. the correct one for America is Z. So well, that's easy. even more confusing, isn't it? Yes. But I mean, yeah, um, a, a, like a fantastic actor uh, who was good in those movies. Uh, but I'm, I, 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 for me, it's hard to look past the Larry Sanders show. Um, and I recently saw his pe- penis in The Man Who Fell to Earth, so that um, felt worth bringing up as well. There you go. Uh, and the other one, and Joe, <laughs> I don't know if you were aware of this, but it's probably most relevant to you uh, as a fan of the show, but Eddie Jones, who played Par Kent in uh, Lois and Clark, uh, passed away. Have you seen his well, penis, Joe? I have, not to my knowledge. Um, I didn't know that, but um, he was he was good in that show. He was, yes. Uh, so, you know, the, the the number of people left who were in Lois and Clark who aren't horrible right-wing thundering arseholes has decreased by one. Do we know that about Dean him? Kane Are really, we sure? Well, we're not sure, but... <laughs> uh, Dean Kane has really ruined thinking about that show for me. He really has. Um... So that's about it for what we had gathered to talk about. I had planned to pad out this episode. Which oh, do it. We need to do be it. done at this point because pad it out. Half in, pad it out. Do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, we had. I'd put out on Twitter about half an hour before recording this episode a call for people to come back to us with anything that they wanted us to talk about. Let's try and do this as quick fire as we can. <laughs> Promising nothing. Um, uh, it's really um, relaxing not being the host of this show because <laughs> <laughs> you can just scream abuse. Right, I'm talking about what you like in the in the order that they appear below the tweet on tweet date, which is weird because it doesn't seem to be chronological. But first one, any reaction to news that the joke? This is from Louis Strong. Any reaction to news that the Joker movie isn't based on any particular comics? 
We did I think that. we addressed that, <laughs> yeah. kind of. Uh, Ashley Day is very interested to hear which comic book movies we still have left to cover on the pod. Is the well running dry? The well is yes, not dry. Is. The well is full, <laughs> mostly of shit, to be fair. Well, that's well, the issue. So there, yeah. there's, there's still a few big genre ones, right? We've got a couple left in the X-Men franchise. We've yeah. got... Ang Lee's Hulk, we've got a Fantastic Four we've movie, got we've got a got bunch of Batmans and Supermans. Yeah. Yeah, Su- um Superman Returns, Superman 4. Like there's 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 still a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And also, I'm not sure if you guys have noticed this, noticed this, but Hollywood releases a lot of yeah, Superman. There are movies. at least <laughs> at minimum there are two from this year that we haven't yet covered. We still we still haven't done an Aquaman episode, have we? Yeah, no, we did that. Oh, I just completely forgot watching the film. <laughs> I, I checked our spreadsheet, which tracks as eligible movies from, like, what, 1936 or something to about 2016 when we started. And there are comfortably 100 movies on there that we haven't looked at. <laughs> Unfortunately, the issue is that a lot of them are really bad, and that's why we haven't done them yet. Ghost but, Rider yes, no, 2... We, we're, I will. I mean, I think it's worth saying this actually because because we are coming up with Matrix, and um, we're, we're not in danger of running out of stuff that's relevant. But I think we we don't want to hit a point where we're only just doing the dregs and the new stuff, and that's why I think we are looking at exploring stuff that is definitely you know if not completely genre relevant, genre adjacent. So it's like so Matrix is a, a, a classic example of something that you know we wouldn't have decided to do Matrix three years ago, but at the point that we're at now. You know, we could one, we can talk about it in the context of the other stuff that we talk about, and two, it does give us a bit of a potential avenue to go down and, and look at other films. Yeah, that now that now that there's others. a good Transformers movie, we should do Bumblebee. <laughs> no. I know, James. We've got to start the series at the beginning. <laughs> I'm happy to. It's you guys who are the problem. <laughs> no, <laughs> no we're, we're not going to be doing that. I can't do five fucking Michael Bay Transformers <laughs> movies. It just can't, just can't happen. Um, but anyway. it's worth saying as well. There's some stuff that we saved, like because we're hoping to do with them with certain guests. Um, True. Yes. And also, there's some stuff that um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe one day we'll get to Shark Boy and Lava Girl. I, I'm not really anything out. We did um, Sky High for fuck's sake. So I do just want to warn people as well that um, Joe gave us a list of what we were allowed to do while he's off on paternity leave, and uh, he didn't leave us any good ones. So uh, you can look forward to a run of episodes with guests where we've had to ask people to do bad films with us. But actually, there are, we we haven't settled down or we haven't pinned down our schedule for then yet. But there's there are some that I really want to do in that period. So I am looking forward to doing them judge dread 95 um so yeah basically no it's not running dry but i think that you might find that the feel of the show changes a bit when we're not doing new release stuff because yeah we will have used up the big major superhero series listen once disney plus is in full swing there'll be new, <laughs> there'll be new releases every week anyway no oh, we're not going back to trying to do full seasons of tv shows joe <laughs> no, but I mean, like, well, like when the Black Widow movie shows up in there, and New Mutants, and they just they're just announcing MCU movies straight to. And do, do you know what? You never know. Those eight episode uh, Disney Plus series, Loki in eight hours or six hours, <laughs> however long. But you know, it might it might be worth an episode in the same way that Agent Carter season one was. Way back in episode four, was it? I think. Yeah, that TV was actually season two. Somewhere. Episode one was our pilot. Oh, it was, was it? season two that we did a full episode on? Yeah. Weird. <laughs> deserved um, it. Still deserved it. Yes, it's brilliant. 
go back and rewatch it. It's really good fun. Um, Harry, aka Hasbaz, uh, who's appeared on the show before, um, wanted to say maybe some recent comics news. Any decent runs recently? I know there was some Roy of the Rovers thing. Let's not talk about comics now because I think there may come a point when me and James need to do a minisode without Joe, and we can just sit and talk about recent comics for a bit. So yeah. we'll try and cover that off then. Um, it, given that you've given me the opportunity, I absolutely will talk about some Roy of the Rovers thing because um, I actually. I haven't really talked about this yet because I'm waiting for certain things to be announced, but I do at the moment have a bit of a connection to the recent Roy the Rover stuff that's going on. So there's a little uh, mention for you there. So when I could talk about that in more detail, I will because you've just given me a window to do so. Get, uh, Chris, in the meantime, get Chris Hewitt on to discuss that with you again, Seth. <laughs> yeah, in the meantime, go and listen to episode three of Beyond the Touchline, my podcast about football culture, in which we talk about um, all of the best football comic strips that aren't Roy of the Rovers, but some of which appeared in Roy of the Rovers. Um, uh, Lamara, your turn, Heather, on Twitter, uh, says that apparently there is some sort of visual hint to Fantastic Four in Spidey 2. Uh, I presume she means Far From Home and not uh, the Raimi one. Uh, are we aware of it? Is anyone aware it of it? It was, yeah. I think it was that building site, wasn't it, that people assume... You know, the, the hoardings outside say we can't wait Star- to show you what's coming next. Star Tower slash Avengers Tower is being rebuilt, right? That was in the trailers yeah. for Far From Home and the movie. Uh, I kind of expected when he was swinging around New York in the post credit scene that it, we were going to pan up and either see the Baxter Building or Oscorp Tower, right? Because that tower was being sold to someone else in Spider-Man Homecoming Mm -hmm. and was being rebuilt in Far From Home. Now, I think the sign outside that in Far From Home says uh, something exciting coming in 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 one, two, three, dot, 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 right? And people understandably are going, oh, are they turned into the Baxter Building? Is that a Fantastic Four tease? And my answer to that would be, if Marvel want that to be the tease, if they get that figured out in enough time, then yes, that will be the tease. But in, in two years' time, if it actually makes more sense for that to be Oscorp Tower than the Baxter Building, that's what it'll be, and they'll want you to ignore that little Easter egg in the background. So it might, it might be a Fantastic Four tease, but... Marvel are very good at doing this, of laying almost Easter eggs. Like, oh, is this coming next? No, we changed our mind. It was actually this thing. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, Apparently another one, uh, this is followed up by Alex Jameson, who replied to that to say, apparently there's uh, Black Knight's armour in the Tower of London, which I haven't seen that. I I doubt they would be planting a Black Knight costume, and I think if the producers of Spider-Man Far From Home decided to put in some kind of knight-looking costume in a scene in the Tower of London, I would bet it's probably more a reference to Monty Python and the Holy Grail, because Americans bloody love Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> so, I bet it was a reference to that rather I mean, than the, the Black, Black Knight... But I haven't seen a picture of it, so I don't know what it looks like. The Black Knight doesn't look anything like the Holy Grail version. <laughs> well, no, I know, but... Um, well, I mean, he wears, like... Armorish looking black thing. I'm I'm just googling Black Knight Far From Home to see if I can see. A yeah, I did. No, I, I wouldn't can... be able to see a picture of it. If anyone had tweeted a picture of it, they would have been called out by the official Far From Home Twitter. <laughs> did you see this? The yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because I was actually there were two people sat next to me in my screening taking photos of the screen throughout. So when I saw that tweet, I wondered if it was <laughs> those people. Um, oh. But yeah, don't don't post pirated photos of films that are still in the cinema on Twitter. 
Uh, like, don't anyway, but especially don't if it's far from home because you'll get called out by the official Twitter account. And if you're a uh, star of the, one of the Marvel movies, probably don't retweet them like one of yeah. the Avengers Endgame stars yes. did. <laughs> <laughs> um, Miles Burley, we need to rattle through the rest of these really <laughs> before we run out of time. Miles Burley wants to know any explanation about Taskmaster because of the set of photos from Black Widow. I think that's an explainer concept for a future episode, Joe, wouldn't you agree? I think that Greg Davies does a fantastic job, and <laughs> but but honestly, we should be reve- we should be waiting for the post credit sting where it reveals that Alex Horn was pulling the strings the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I think a little joke for the UK listeners there that I think will be lost. On, I think broadly speaking, on. commenting on on set photos and leaks is something we don't really do because I think when we're doing the explain, if, I think if other people are saying this character could be in this film. Joe does like to get us yeah, to explain yeah, sure. that character in case it becomes relevant. And also, Taskmaster's cool. I think Taskmaster's cool. Is he, though? Um, yeah. I'm not so sure. <laughs> well, let's save it. <laughs> he sets He sets tasks. I know lots oh. of people... No. <laughs> lots of people like him. I've never really seen the appeal. It kind of looks like I think I missed the thing thing. in which he was cool that everyone went, oh, he's really cool. Yeah. I like the idea. Um... Daniel Hardy would be interested in our informed speculation. Pff, don't know where he's got the idea that we could ever have informed speculation uh, about what the MCU's release schedule for the next two years will look like, given we given we haven't had much set in stone. I think oh. at this point, given that we're about to have uh, <laughs> yeah. San Diego, uh, let's not let Joe have half an hour talking no, about No, go back to, again. I think the last time it was just James and I in a mini-sode, we did this and we went into some like quite some detail on what we thought yeah, it would And be. it's still pretty much accurate because nothing has really changed. Yeah, yeah. So go back to that. I mean, we, I think post SDCC, we might have to do some kind of comparison as to assuming that they announce the schedule. But I think everyone's expecting them to do that. Uh, it'd be funny if they don't. But let's see. So yes, we'll we'll pick up that when when it's a bit more relevant. Uh, Scott Pontier would like wild speculation on the Joker. I think we've done that. <laughs> MCU at Comic Con, similarly, and podcast recommendations that are similar to yours. No, if you want podcasts that sound like ours, listen to ours. I mean, yeah. also listen to House to Astonish. Yeah. I mean, that is it like ours? It's about comics, and I suppose we, uh, it's like ours about comics. Podcast, but um, yeah, I, I I I don't know of other podcasts that that do what we do. I'm sure there are some, but <laughs> well, uh, three guys talking about movies. I don't know. Not sure. <laughs> comic book movies, James. Nobody talks about. Yeah, comic it's book a bit movies niche. On the internet. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, Scott, but um, I. I, I I may try and investigate that for future to see if there is anything that we can recommend that if if you like us, you should listen to. You can listen to other podcasts that we do or that we appear on. <laughs> I talk about it all the time. My favourite podcast is Blank Check and it has been for about two years. So I would just recommend that. Yeah, this is true. If you yeah, if you want a podcast recommendation, uh, Joe likes Blank Check. Listen listen to Ghibliotech that sometime yes, yeah, podcast yeah. Mike Leader does. Yeah. Yes, true. Ghib- Ghibli Attack with Mike Leader. Actually, I am going to recommend a podcast because it's the podcast I've been recommending a lot recently. It's not like ours, uh, although I am on a, an upcoming episode of it. Sonic the Comic, the podcast, <laughs> is brilliant. It's an issue-by-issue run through the early 90s British Sonic-slash-Sega tie-in comic, and it's a wonderful podcast, so listen to that. That is my recommendation. Apparently it's not it's, like ours at all. I but. think it's currently being redesigned due to fan reactions, though, so maybe, <laughs> maybe, wait, maybe wait until that's revealed before you, yeah. you tune back in. 
Uh, and finally, Mark Harrison would like to know, are we ever going to do a Teen Titans Go to the Movies episode? Um, I think Lois is almost old enough that I yeah. could try her with it. We were watching the 70s Muppet movie earlier today, oh, and uh, she's really starting to get into Muppets now, and uh, that's been very enjoyable. So I think that could be a possibility, because she's she's into her first superheroes, which are the PJ Masks. She is a big PJ Masks fan. Mm. I think we're going to nudge her towards Powerpuff Girls, uh, but I think, yes, Teen Titans go to the movies. Emmy, Emmy at the moment at is constantly watching the new version of Superhero Girls, which are by Lauren Faust, who did the My Little Pony like oh, yeah. re- remake. And it's really good. Like, you you know how there are kids programs and you watch them and you're like oh this is actually really good it's mm. one of those there are quite a lot of those at the moment because kids stuff is really yeah good. I mean there's a lot of stuff so. that you watch it and you're like I wish I was dead but this is actually like <laughs> a plus like yeah it's it- really got a nice retro style and fun fun characters like their version of Supergirl is so far from any like canon version of Supergirl in that she's like a super buff tomboy like with I would say dubious moral boundaries, <laughs> but it's she's really good fun. So you guys should definitely do a Teen Titans Go to the Movie episode with Lois Nemi, and maybe I'll <laughs> maybe I can just sit in the background with my newborn crying. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, you crying about the newborn. <laughs> I, I was going to say, given, given that we were just talking about running out of good films to do, and I know I haven't seen it yet, but I, I expect it to be good, I think we should probably make a commitment to do that before the end of the year, and, and that, that might be one for, for Joe's comeback. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's probably about it, isn't it? Is that, I hope so, because, because it's Sunday. We would have covered. <laughs> Got work. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've got everything. Joe, do you have anything to add with your whiskey? I just think that Honestly, my main recommendation from today is go watch the cricket highlights, you guys. It was fantastic. <laughs> England won a World Cup. It's never happened before. I'm quite drunk. You might have noticed that on this podcast. Um, I'll promise to be more sober for the Matrix episode. But no less <laughs> thrilled that we won the World Cup. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you are enjoying the show, but you but aside from Joe's cricket chat, uh, please do subscribe on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Player FM, uh, your podcast app of choice. You can find the RSS feed and episodes themselves at our website, cinematicuniverse.com. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematicuniverse, and you can hear us ad-free, as you already have done if you are a subscriber and listening to that. Thank you if you are. Uh, You can buy our T-shirt designs, and you can also buy it on other bits of merch at redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash cinematicu, I want to say. It's linked to from the website anyway, cinematicuniverse.com. Uh, and uh, we are a podcast, so if you like us, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes because it helps other people find us, not just on Apple Podcasts, but on other platforms as well. Um, if you want to get in touch with us with comments, like those listeners that we just read out did, we are on Twitter at cine underscore verse. <laughs> You'll randomly uh, get think... one of the three of us replying, depending on who's yeah. checking the account at any given <laughs> And we time. never bother to tag which of us it yep. is. Well, sometimes we do, but not usually. <laughs> I have no idea who replied to Lamar earlier after I had done the interview. It must have been Joe, because it wasn't me. Well, if it was me, I can barely remember. Yeah, because you're drunk. Um, yes, and you can send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com and somebody will probably read it at some point. We do actually read those and take suggestions and stuff. I'm glad you guys do because so. I always forget that account exists. Yeah. Yes. 
Uh, and on that note, uh, we'll see you next week uh, as we all take the... No, when... oh, I can't say take the red pill, can I? Damn it. Okay. <laughs> you really can't. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you next week for our Matrix episode. That's going to be a fun discussion. We'll see you then. Bye. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.